welcome to another edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. I'm Chris Sork alongside Delu as we look back at a K-State victory over the Kansas Jayhawks, 38-10, uh, winning their 11th straight Governor's Cup. Uh, the Wildcats do in, in pretty well-dominating fashion. Uh, 38-10 over the Jayhawks, um, really a complete domination in this one. Uh, K-State outgained uh, KU uh, 471 yards to 241 and uh, kept KU out of the end zone until uh, the very end where, where KU was able to score with, uh, with I believe, seconds on the clock. Um, so, yeah, touchdown with 55 seconds left. Or 35 seconds left, excuse me. So K-State uh, turns in as as dominant of a performance as you could ask for uh, as they go uh, now to 6-2 uh, to and two overall, 3-2 and two in conference play, and uh, find themselves as the number 16 team in the country uh, via the most recent college football playoff rankings. And uh, I want to bring in Delu here. Delu, what a win. Uh, for K-State, uh, there was so much talk about a letdown performance uh, off the big upset against Oklahoma. KU, uh, you know, playing a little bit better football, and them coming off a, a big win over Texas Tech. Uh, but K-State really dispelled any threat of an upset uh, at the hands of the Jayhawks, in my eyes, pretty darn early uh, last Saturday. Yeah, absolutely. Just an utter spanking uh, delivered to uh, Les Miles and the bunch on the uh, on Mount Orient on Saturday. Um, just about as complete a performance K-State's had um, really since out-of-conference play when you're getting back to, you know, you look back to Bowling Green, which was the most comparable game to that. Um, and really just a, you know, K-State's been on the other side of these a few times over the years, uh, but you just use the phrase men against boys. And that's what it looked like on Saturday, where K-State was able to do pretty much whatever it wanted um, on Saturday. Offensively, uh, K-State cruised uh, to the tune of 342 rushing yards, led by leading rusher Skylar Thompson, uh, who got 127 of those on the ground. A good day for Harry Trotter as well, um, on a day where K-State was a little shorthanded in the backfield. But... Uh, K-State's offense just absolutely cruised, um, albeit ran into some speed bumps with some self-inflicted mistakes, sure. uh, penalties derailed, uh, multiple K-State drives in the first half. Uh, you know, on Saturday at halftime, K-State actually had more penalty yards than KU had total yards. Mm-hmm. Um, and so K-State couldn't get out of its own way, but still... Stumbled and rumbled to a 14-point halftime lead. But, Icon, the really surprising thing on Saturday was how Scotty Hazleton and that defense uh, locked down the red-hot KU offense. Yeah, and, you know, obviously we talk about how productive K-State was on the ground. Uh, as you mentioned, over 340 yards rushing. Uh, that would be the easy place to start uh, would be just that performance uh, offensively. But I want to really start with the defense. Uh, you know, KU had been moving the ball pretty well. Uh, I think they scored, what was it, 48 points against Texas uh, two weeks ago. And then, you know, really a nice stretch, uh, I, you know, 37 against Texas Tech. But they'd been starting to play better offense since Brent Deerman uh, had been uh, – Pegged as the new offensive coordinator there in Lawrence. And K-State, 
I mean, they had him. Confu- they had Carter Stanley confused, uh, thrown into bad coverages. Uh, really doing a great job. Confu- what looked like it confusing him, and um, just made it made life very difficult for this Jayhawk offense, which um, had been really playing pretty well as of late. So let's get into the defense first. Um, a couple of guys that stuck out to me. I mean, first off, I guess I want to ask from from you and your vantage point, um, what did K-State do that really set this KU offense in, into, a, into a spiral and where they couldn't get much going? Well, I think it starts with just understanding what KU's offense was built on, and that's built on really quick reads. Um and not be wanting to be in a position where KU has to ask Carter Stanley to drop back in the pocket and wait for guys to get open. Um, and so I think what Hazleton was trying to do is just uh, screw up his initial reads and take away uh, some of those uh, passes that Stanley tries to make within a, a second or two of getting the football. And I think K-State's secondary was able to do that. But I think... Uh, once KU was put in a position where they were asking Stanley to drop back and look downfield a little bit more, uh, K-State was getting really, really good pressure with its front four and just abusing what is just, um, to put it lightly, an inferior uh, offensive line. Um, So I think that's what was going on in the passing game. And then they just bottled Puka Williams up. Mm -hmm. Um, That that guy, the uh, first-team all-conference uh, running back last year held to just 61 yards on 14 carries. So a very pedestrian day out of KU star player on offense, and then just put KU's passing offense into positions that it's not comfortable in. Yeah, and K State gets off to a good start, um, scoring on their first drive and playing from ahead really all game, uh, and that's got KU into a place where they maybe had to abandon that running game a little bit more quickly than they would have liked, but. I think you hit the nail right on the head when you talk about this defensive line. Um, guys that stuck out to me, Trey Deshaun, Wyatt Hubert, uh, guys that have been all-conference-type performers this year for K-State, really imposing their will. And then not necessarily you know, just doing it all on their own, but having guys like uh, Kyle Ball and uh, Khalid Duke who are – you know, looked at as more rotation kind of guys, more ancillary parts of, of that defensive line, you know, they were getting consistent pressure and, and uh, you know, really, sh- you know, shown for me in terms of, of what they did uh, getting pressure on Carter Stanley. So, gosh, really up and down the defensive line, or, you know, Daquan Patton with a big interception there right at the end of the first half. They got K-State, uh, you know, three extra points there after it looked like, you know, K State uh, was gonna, you know, go the halftime up fourteen to thirteen, punting the ball back to KU, but a quick interception uh, gets K State uh, an opportunity to get some more points before halftime, and then right at the end of, uh, at you know, getting the ball at halftime, K State goes down, scores twenty four three, and at that point you could feel the uh, the python was was squeezing on uh, on KU's chances in terms of. You've got an offense that they can't really stop. Uh, so you knew that there just wasn't going to be a whole lot more opportunity for KU to just have enough possessions to win. And then, I mean, they didn't have any luck offensively, uh, KU did. So 
it was just a, uh, like I said, a dominating performance uh, on both sides of the ball for K-State in this one. Yeah, and hat tip to uh, the Brain Trust um, in the KU Athletic Department that thought it would be a funny idea to basically put KU in white uniforms, if I may. Talk about uniforms for just a second. Put white Make, uniforms on I'll Saturday allow it. because... I'll allow it, but watch yourself, Lewis. All right. But uh, if you ask... KU fans, some of the KU fans I've been seeing uh, are blaming Carter Stanley's poor performance on of a lack of contrast between his receivers and the uh, K-State defenders. Well, and based on some of those throws, yeah, you, you have to kind of wonder. Because that one to Patton it, yeah. was just... Oh, I mean, he ran the route better than the receiver did. I mean, it was as if he never saw him. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But getting to your point about the vice grip that K-State's offense put on uh, KU, there was... One drive in particular that didn't even end in points for K-State. It was their second drive at a halftime that started on their own seven-yard line. K-State went 12 plays, 46 yards in about six minutes and punted. Yeah. And Which so, you, you would, and if I remember correctly, because K-State did it wasn't really stopped all day except by their own devices, but penalties were a factor there. And But when they turned the ball back over to KU at that point, um, I do believe that uh, KU only had two possessions. Or, uh, no, excuse me. They had three possessions in the second quarter, but I believe the fourth down play uh, of that third drive of the of the second half for KU uh, extended into the fourth quarter. So, I mean, when you're only getting two possessions a quarter and you're down three scores, you kind of know what you're dealing with in terms of just having enough possessions that even – to even have a comeback that would be feasible. Yeah, KU started the ball, or started the uh, their second drive of the third quarter with um, a minute and 45 seconds left in the quarter. Yeah. And so on a day when your defense isn't giving you anything, and then you're only getting, you know, one and a half possessions per quarter, uh, it makes things really tough for you. Well, let's um, let's transition back to the offense here a little bit. We mentioned no James Gilbert, really no Jordan Brown, only two carries uh, on the on the game. You had to look at a little different. That was a little bit of a concern to me. Had I known that Jordan Brown and and James Gilbert, who we did know were battling some injuries, but from what we had you know, read and seen and heard, we thought they'd be able to play or at least give it a go. And, and Brown was able to, but uh, no James Gilbert. I believe I saw a comment from him saying that, you know, I if I needed to, I could have I could have gone out there and, and, and gutted it out. But they didn't really need to because of, you know, the I thought Harry Trotter performed very admirably in their in their spot. It was um, Yeoman's work. Yeoman's uh, work and you know that the wizard. You know, that game has to mean a lot to him. Uh, having seen the interviews afterwards, uh, being a Kansas kid from Atchison, Kansas, uh, be, growing up a KU fan, uh, which we, I guess, won't hold against him now, but uh, being a KU fan who wanted to go play at KU, never got a sniff there, uh, you know this game had to mean something uh, extra to him. And Well, in KU's defense, they have some pretty good running backs. Yeah, they do. Or at least and they had even more running backs at the start of the season. Yeah, exactly. With you know, uh, and they've had they've had good running backs for a while, really. I mean, that's never really been the issue. But 
nonetheless, Harry Trotter goes out there, uh, 20 carries, 92 yards, really pretty much serving as the primary ball carrier uh, at the running back position throughout the day, uh, getting the majority of the of the work. Uh, of course, but also guys like Joe Irvin uh, getting into the action, uh, 10 carries uh, for him. But how about Tyler Burns yeah, getting I, in there? And then on that one drive after KU goes for it uh, on their – I think they went for it on like their own 30-yard line, on 25-yard line, uh, as it was obvious that and this thing was pretty well over. But in order to uh, have any chance of, of staging any sort of comeback, they felt like they had to go for it in case they was able to stop them. Two Tyler Burns uh, carries later, he's in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those games where, like, a decade from now, I feel like we'll be talking about Tyler Burns' performance against Kansas in 2019 when we're doing his Wildcat legend. I think that's a very good (laughs) point. I think that's a very good point. Because a career day for him, um, especially that drive you talked about. You know, I'm looking at the box score here, and 58 yards – for the little amount of time he saw the field and some of those runs he had, uh, you know, especially because I think he only had two runs on that drive. Yeah, it was a two-play drive. And yeah. they were two very embar- physical well, for- runs and embarrassing runs if you're, uh, yeah. you know, in KU's film room. His his first run, I mean, he gets, oh, what was it, probably 15, 20 yards where he's dragging guys. It takes three or four guys to get him down. And you, when you have fresh legs – and. In defense of KU's uh, defensive unit, they've been out there pretty much the entire day. So they've got tired legs, tired bodies, and when you have a guy that's uh, well-rested and he's getting his first action of the day, he's running fresh. And that's that speaks to the versatility and the depth of this running back group, which when we looked at it this at the, big, at the beginning of the season, there were questions up and down the board I mean, in terms of well, I'm just going to even go a little bit further back to the offseason. We had no idea who was going to play running back for us this this upcoming season. We had lost Alex Barnes to uh, to the next level. And Mike McCoy to injury. Mike McCoy to injury. And you really began to say, well, for a physical uh, ground attack that, that you know, Kleiman and Messingham are going to want to run, we're just not going to have the bodies to do it. But you have to give them a lot of credit. Uh, of course, Tyler Burns, too, had left the program. Um, I believe I can't remember at what point last year, but he, he was welcome back uh, after uh, after the coaching change. And gosh, you look at what he uh, was able to do. You, you have to feel like he could be a guy that if if called on, uh, you feel pretty good about it if he has to get put into the action. Yeah, and don't forget about the freshman redshirting too with uh, Jacardi Wright and uh, mm-hmm. Clyde Price. Um, you know whether or not. Price stays in the running back room, but sure. uh, no hats off to Kleiman for shoring up that uh, positional need for K State. And you know, even when the first uh, your first and second string running backs are out, to be able to come out in a conference game, even if it is KU, and put up 342 yards is a testament to the work that Kleiman and his staff did in the off season to to replenish uh, the running back depth chart. Switching to uh how K-State moved the ball through the air, not a whole lot, 130 yards pass, or 129 if we're going to be exact, 
Not a 16 for Skylar Thompson. Didn't really need to. Uh, I remember seeing a comment from him after the game saying, I didn't know if Messingham was ever going to call a pass play because the uh, the running uh, attack was hitting on all cylinders for K-State. Well, I remember when we were watching the game, We I think it, at one point in the game, our play uh, discrepancy was 14 passes and one run. Mm-hmm. And I remember just saying... 14 runs and one pass. Yeah, excuse yeah. me. And I remember just saying, well... It might be one run too many. Yeah, I mean, it, you're thinking that it might be a, a Texas 2010 Ten. Yep. performance where K-State threw, what, three or four passes the entire game. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, if they can't stop you, don't don't become balanced for the sake of balance here. No. If, if it's working, it's working. But speaking on the passing game, again, another day where K-State completes nine passes uh and the leading receiver had two receptions. Mm-hmm. So K-State throws it to eight different uh, eight different players. I'm sorry, seven different players. Um, Dalton Schoen and Nick Linners each had two receptions. But otherwise, Landry Weber got involved with the catch. Phillip Brooks, Malik Knowles, Harry Trotter, and Joaquin Gill. So even when K-State isn't having a prolific day throwing the football, only 9 of 16 for 129 yards... Uh, but K-State's still finding a way to stay dynamic in the passing game and not letting defenses key on just one or two primary targets. Well, and the other thing, too, is with Malik Knowles having been out, um, you know, for some time with that nagging injury after the um, after the Mississippi State game, did not play um, against Oklahoma State, but is kind of getting back in the action, uh, of course, played against Baylor, and then uh, TCU, Oklahoma, and of course KU. But, you know, really not having to do a whole lot of heavy lifting. I know they had him on a little bit of a, of a snap count uh, against TCU. People have been calling it a pitch count. But he, it's not a pitch count. He's well, not a pitcher. It's, you know, baseball, America pastime. Mm-hmm. Everyone knows it. Yeah. You know. So that's the point of reference for people. Yeah. They, they say, what do you mean he's not, he's somehow playing less than he's able to? And then when people are like, Oh well, imagine it's like a pitch count. Yeah, like, like in oh. little, like in literally, you can only throw eighty pitches in a game or something like that. You know. Yeah, that's a much easier point of reference for people, I guess. Yeah, of course. Come on, man. Uh, but anyway, not even having to lean on him as your as your only target. I thought Shone has really played well these last couple of games. I know he's had an issue with drops in the past, and he seems to have sure that up at least uh, here as we've gotten into conference play a little bit more. But he had a one really nice catch down the sideline, and he was... Um, Is that the one where we were screaming for Thompson to throw it to the yeah, short guy, yeah. uh, the tight end, and said he took a chance on one-on-one coverage downfield? And Sean was able to make the play before uh, getting his shirt ripped off, uh, or getting pulled on, I should say, uh, by the KU defender. But then he had another really nice catch where he was able to make three or four spin moves down the sideline while staying in bounds and getting an extra five, six, seven yards. Well, that was the play that Thompson evaded that yeah. sack. Yeah. He had him dead to rights in the backfield and was really one of – probably the the most – one of Thompson's best plays of his career, I think, in order to evade that sack. Yeah, because that guy had him – Yeah, guy had him pretty well wrapped up, had a kill shot on him. And I was worried he was going to fumble it. I was afraid that the kid, you guy took it away from him. I mean, just while he was back there to pass, just might have grabbed it and – 
Because that would have been bad. That would, because, that, that would have been suboptimal. Because he would have probably gone. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, let's talk a little bit about Thompson. Um, gosh, I think the best way to say this, up until this three-game winning streak that K-State's been on, you'd have to say Skylar Thompson's career has been probably been best described as inconsistent. Um, of course, some memorable... Uh, heroics against Iowa State back in 2017, and then 2018 it was just kind of a it, lost it, year, almost yeah, a lost year. Uh, but had some highlights in 2017. Of course, the Iowa State game, as I mentioned, and the Oklahoma State game uh, on the road where he kind of engineered uh, that big upset. But very efficient again. Uh, of course, not asking him to do a ton in the passing game, but not only being effective in the passing game when called upon. But, gosh, if you would have told me he would have ran the ball 17 times for 127 yards, I would say, wow. Uh, Did he gain another 30, 40 pounds to be able to take this kind of beating? But he's doing a better job uh, of kind of, when I say a better job, I shouldn't necessarily say compared to him, but he's doing a good job of doing what he can to limit the big shots, unlike maybe a Colin Klein or when, the, when I really say this, the first person that comes to mind is Joe Huebner. He would just get decked. <laughs> yeah, that and guy just... He did not know how to slide. It's like he watched that clip of Alan Everidge get smoked by Slay and, yeah. and said, man, that looks cool. <laughs> yeah, he... I want to emulate that. Uh, well, he would get... He was a very upright runner. But anyway, back to Thompson here. This guy has really shown that, you know, maybe... He's not necessarily a guy that needs to... I mean, K-State's not ever going to want to sling the ball 35 times a game. and But in this situation with where he's really... I, I should say he's more than a game manager, but that's probably the title that gets thrown at uh, for him. It was just when we see these kind of... What we're asking him to do in the passing game. But he does so much more than that in terms of getting us into the right play, um, being a good leader, and... Um, and uh, you know, getting it done with his feet on the ground. Uh, I have to say, from where uh, I had kind of him pegged as a player, uh, these last three games have made me eat some crow. Oh, absolutely. And we've we've been we've been harder on him than I think most of the fan base has, just because people really like Thompson, and they have for a long time. Maybe they've seen something in him that, frankly, we didn't, or that we just gave up on. To some degree. But yeah, he's just, these last few games, he's just really displayed a maturity. Good decision making. Yeah. And some of the stuff, he's not putting up insane numbers through the air or anything like that, although he had quite a day against Oklahoma. But he's really just doing a good job of being, this is a cliche, but being a gamer back there in the pocket and doing some of the stuff that fans or at least I associate with like Todd Reesing, for instance, where it's just a guy who's evasive in the pocket, can do some things on the ground if he's asked, uh, but can make most of the throws you ask him to, too. And it's just a pain in the butt to defend because he's he's mobile enough and keeps his eyes downfield and doesn't really make very many mistakes. And I guess when you say the the cliche that you always hear with, with a, a, a quarterback in terms of, when they talk about you know his ability as a passer, is oh this guy can make all the throws. I don't think Thompson can really make all the throws because I don't think he has great arm strength. 
But I think he can make quite a few throws. Well, and I think he... I don't... I think he's got like, fine enough arm strength. Just I just think he's limited in that... I mean, we our offense just isn't equipped to punish people downfield very much this season because you look at Malik Knowles has been out a few games. And you know who... You know who I just thought of this here, but you know who he kind of reminds me of is uh, is another quarterback currently playing college football, Jake Fromm from Georgia. A little bit of call it a game manager if you want, but he you know Fromm of course quarterbacked Georgia to uh, what should have been a national title uh, back in uh, 2018, uh, 2018 national championship game, but. The guy is making plays. He's able to, you know, beat you on the ground when he needs to, and really looks like he's making strides as a leader as well as a decision maker. So go ahead. Sorry. I no, kinda, I, I, I think that's a, an apt comparison. I just, just to put a bow on the Thompson stuff, he's just done a really good job of, of well, especially in the last couple of weeks. I think he's just been had a lot of success on the ground and just more willingness to to take the ball and run with it if that's what the defense is giving him. And uh, on Saturday, that's absolutely what the defense is, was giving him. And on Saturday and in the last few games, really, uh, K-State's asked him to do a little bit more on the ground with designed runs. I mean, there were, I don't know how many times he ran the option, the traditional option, mm-hmm. the speed option, I guess. Oh, on, yeah, they had no... They had no, uh, no, I think we ran it probably five or six times. And every games, time, yeah. I bet it had a success rate of close to 100. Yeah. Um, and so a nice little wrinkle there by uh, by the mess to get uh, the option involved because KU clearly did not prepare for that. Albeit to the wide side of the field. That was disappointing. I, you know what? I think maybe we're just getting that on film. And then this week, look for K-State to take it to the short side. We can only hope. Yeah. I mean, that's that's what we're hoping for. Well, anyway, let's put a bow on this uh, on this game. Of course, a dominating K State performance, a game that we had thought that K State would have their hands full in, um, but mostly because we expected. I mean, K State's offense really, performed about what we thought we would. Yes and no. I mean, I think case this is a game where K State could have exceeded fifty points very easily, oh, easily. quite easily, um, had there not been so many penalties. Um, but really the story of this game is what was in the, the losing side's uh, score column. Holding KU to 10 points um, was extremely impressive. But looking back a little bit, everybody was really getting high on Brent Deerman and him being some kind of wonderkind. Yeah, the, everyone, everyone was saying he's the next Norv Turner. Yeah, everybody was saying he was the next Norm Chow. Yeah, yeah. Um, many people were saying that. But... Uh, you know, you look back on that Texas game and the TCU game, and you kind of figure, you think about what those defenses actually are, Texas Tech and, T- and uh, Texas, and maybe it makes a little more sense when you realize those are two pretty bad defenses. And this is the first, you know, one of the better defenses in the Big 12 that Brent Dearman's gone up against. Well... Yeah, I mean, defense played great. Let's talk a little bit about how satisfying of a win this is. Um, some people are saying that this is one of their you know, most satisfying wins ever. I'm not quite there. 
in terms of I mean, granted, yeah, it's a, it was a great win over KU. I'm not discounting that or not. For me, 2009 probably sticks a little bit more favorably for me, just because of what that really meant in terms of you know we had lost three straight to KU and. You know, at this point, K State's trying to, you know, get bowl eligible, win the North, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, getting a chance to beat Todd Reesing, who too had 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 pretty well owned us uh, at at KU, and especially in the 08 game, as as painful as that was to for you to set through, I know, uh, in Lawrence, and then coming back the next year and and getting a win. Talk about how. This win uh, kind of ranks for you in terms of over KU, and also too. I mean, when you talk about these last two games, uh, a big upset over um, over Oklahoma, number five in the country, and then coming out here and just drumming your in-state rival, pretty good little two-game stretch for us. Yeah, absolutely, and add in throwing TCU to that because yeah. that's a game that was, was a swing certainly game. up in yeah. the air too. But no, I think I'm I'm with you that. From a pure satisfaction standpoint, I think 2009 was uh, ranked a little higher on that scale just because, like you mentioned, it really felt like that was one of the transition moments that instituted kind of the the beginning of the end for the Mangino era. Yeah, because he only coached. Was it one or two more games? Yeah. After that, because I mean, he was let go at the end of the season. So. Right, and and that really kind of closed the door on the Ron Prince era, where K State was zero and nine against KU, MU, and Nebraska. Yeah. And so getting that win in two thousand nine, I think, was just had more bliss, I think, for me uh, than this one on Saturday because. I expected us to win against KU, although there was some doubt on Saturday going into the game. But that doesn't, I don't want to diminish just how much fun this Saturday was either. Sure. Because, you know, coming into this game, it's KU's as hot as they've been in the last decade, which isn't really saying much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> One win against Texas, Texas Tech on a as bizarre of a finish as you'll see in a college football game. Yeah, yeah but it will in that, but even more so, I think yeah. it was them hanging with Texas. Yeah. And the shine kind of came off of that loss, as weird as, as it is to say, when Texas uh, lost to TCU the following week. But uh, it's good to know this was a chance for the two programs to kind of take each other's temperature here and say, you know, okay, is this... Les Miles attempted turnaround way ahead schedule, way ahead of where anybody expected it to be coming into the season. Um, and is the gap between K-State and KU really as short as it appeared to be last year? Yeah. Um, last two years, really. Yeah. I mean, And those questions were resoundingly answered on Saturday and that K-State is the far better team. I mean, like I said, it was men against boys. And... You know, Les Miles may be able to close that gap in the future, but I think for K-State fans, uh, seeing the way K-State just went out and dominated on Saturday, you have to feel very good about the relative uh, the relative strength of the programs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's, uh, let's put a bow here on this KU game. And uh, after a short break, 
we'll be back uh, where we will be speaking with Ian Boyd of uh, Sports Treatise and InsideTexas.com. Uh, we uh, we talked with Ian, of course, before, and uh, he joins us again uh, to uh, preview Saturday's game, uh, 2.30 kickoff on the Worldwide Leader. Cancel uh, your dentist appointments, folks. Yeah, 2.30 on this one. Uh, K-State versus Texas. Uh, we'll be back with Ian Boyd uh, to discuss that game and uh, give our thoughts as well. Join us after the break. All right, we are now being joined by uh, our friend uh, Ian Boyd here. Uh, you can follow Ian on Twitter at Ian underscore A underscore Boyd. Uh, of course, you can also read his work at uh, sportstreatise.com uh, as well as insidetexas.com. And uh, Ian, of course, is also an author of Flyover Football, which kind of details uh, how the spread offenses have uh, taken over uh, college football starting here in the Big 12. Uh, Ian is uh, kind enough to join us with a, a little bit of his time today to have us preview Texas and Kansas State. Ian, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. Enjoying the fall. Well, it's uh, it's been a nice little three-game stretch here for K-State, uh, getting wins over TCU, uh, of course the big upset over Oklahoma, and then uh, knocking off KU last week. Um, currently uh, sitting in a pretty good shape uh, with uh, – with only two losses here in the Big 12, of course, K-State and Texas both have the same conference records at 3-2. and I uh, want to just kind of get your thoughts here as we kind of get going. Uh, what's kind of the pulse of the Texas program, of course, right now? I mean, obviously uh, not the season that we were expecting, but they go into a bye week and uh, they, they get a little bit more healthy, you would hope, after this week. I know uh, Caden Sturds, uh, DeMarvian Overshone, uh, are a couple guys that are expected to be back and, and getting closer to being healthy. Uh, but just kind of talk where this Texas program uh, finds themselves here as we uh, turn the calendar to November. They're honestly, they're not in very good shape. Um, they do expect to get some key players back. Uh, the two big ones would be Jordan Whittington, the running back. Um, he, if, he has a, if he has a big showing against Kansas State, if he has a big role in the game plan, that's probably bad news for the Wildcats. And then Caden uh, Stearns, who everybody knows about, uh, big time safety for last year. He probably would help a lot of the big plays Texas has been giving up when they're trying to blitz. Maybe some of those would uh, not be occurring if they had Caden Stearns on the back end. Although, we'll see. <laughs> um, so. Getting those two guys back is big. Getting the extra week of health and recuperation for everyone is big. But they've really been struggling the last couple of weeks. I don't think that there's a whole lot of confidence in the defense right now. And uh, the offense has been kind of struggling a little bit with um, just kind of teams kind of figuring them out and, and jumping on some of their tendencies. Well, and we spoke. You spoke a little bit about uh, getting players back, particularly on defense. Um, you know, in, in these last uh, three games where Texas has looked shaky, um, to put it lightly, do you think that's uh, defensively? Do you think that's more a product of personnel and, and injuries, or is there something going on with uh, Todd Orlando's scheme that uh, is just, you know, just missing? Well, he never really established a uh, base package and base defense for this for this year's team. 
Um, so they've been kind of scrambling all year for something to hang their hats on. And uh, they've maybe settled on that being the uh, the inverted Tampa 2 style that uh, Iowa State popularized in the league. Um, but uh, his his first love is the blitz and the zone blitz in particular. And uh, he just can't give it up. And they keep bringing zone blitzes in big moments and on big third downs this season. And uh, there's been a lot of times this year where they've had teams right where they want them in third and long and crucial moments of the game. Uh, they've brought big blitzes and they've been burned not only for first downs, but often for, for touchdowns. So um, part of the problem has been trying to find a, sort of base defense that makes the most of the players they have. Another problem has been all the injuries they've had in the secondary. Uh, but maybe the underlying problem is, is that they primarily, they want to be an attacking blitzing team. And uh, that's just not really a good idea in the big 12. Um, so all these other problems they've had have been made all the much, all the made all the more worse by the, by uh how risky their overall philosophy is. Well, and one thing that uh, will be uh, encouraging for Todd Orlando and Texas fans this weekend is that K-State's offense doesn't really lend itself to making make uh, to punishing teams for taking chances like that. K-State is not what you would call an explosive offense. How do you uh, how do you think that Texas's defense stacks up against? you know, a team like K-State who zigs compares to zags uh, and is more of a power running game and works its offense out of the uh, eight-gap power type of stuff and doesn't really look too vertical in the passing game. Uh, It's definitely a good thing for Texas. You'll see that, uh, like, last year when they beat up on Georgia, a lot of that was because Georgia was like, whatever, Texas... We don't, we don't care. They're just a big 12 team. We're going to come in and, and run them over. And uh, that did not, obviously did not happen at all. Texas was a lot more physical and aggressive at the line of scrimmage than Georgia was expecting. Um, took the Bulldogs a while to adjust. Eventually, if you watch the end of that game, the Bulldogs came back by starting to fling it around on Texas. If they'd done that from the beginning, they might have they might have won <laughs> pretty big. But... They had to do their SEC thing and try to run them over first. Um, And the Iowa State game last year as well, Iowa State came in and tried to run the ball on Texas with multiple tight ends and using a couple tricks they picked up from watching uh, West Virginia. And uh, Texas beat that up too. They have a lot of big physical athletes on the defensive line and at linebacker. And uh, Orlando's pretty good at timing them on run blitzes to kind of muck up your your run blocking schemes and get offensive linemen chasing guys into the backfield rather than looking for the right guy to hit. So um, it's going to be a pretty interesting battle because Kansas State has a lot of versatility to their run game and a lot of uh, sort of disguise and, and different things they can do to trap guys. Um, so they might be able to sort of chip away at Texas or they might just struggle with how big and fast Texas is and the Longhorns may look pretty good again, just by the uh, drawing a more favorable matchup. 
Uh, we're here with Ian Boyd here. Uh, Ian covers Texas at InsideTexas.com. You can also find his uh, work at uh, SportsTreatise.com as well. Uh, Ian, kind of switching sides of the ball here now uh, to the Texas offense. Uh, in, in their most recent game uh, against TCU, Sam Ellinger uh, wasn't really quite a self. Uh, two touchdowns, four interceptions, uh, low completion percentage in terms of what they were able to do there. Uh, you know, this Texas offense has been pretty darn good all season, uh, had a, a definite hiccup against TCU. Curious kind of what, what your thoughts are on uh, this matchup uh, with when Texas has the ball offensively because this has been a side of the ball that's been pretty good for Texas. And, you know, K-State's defense ha- has really kind of started rounding in a little bit better. Of course, uh, some injuries uh, with A.J. Parker, uh, K-State's best cornerback, being out for this one. But uh, just kind of curious how you see that side of the ball uh, when Texas has the ball. Yeah. Um, it could be kind of tricky. TCU was uh, really um, punishing Texas's tendencies. Uh, Texas has tended to uh, play Devin Duvernay and Colin Johnson, their two best receivers. They like to put them both on the short side of the field where uh, teams usually don't put like a nickel over there. They just make their linebacker drop back a little bit. So they've been doing that to get uh, Duvernay matched up on linebackers. And and uh, if you play a safety over the top, it leaves that much more space underneath for Duvernay or for uh, for Colin Johnson if he, if he runs a little under route. So Texas has been really leaning on that this season. And uh, TCU shaded both safeties in that direction and just kind of smothered it and played uh, man coverage on everybody else without any safety help. And uh, Texas didn't really want to throw to the other guys. So they really got in a bind because the, the open man, as it were, were the, or where they had advantages were throwing to like their tight end or to their third best receiver or their running back against guys like, uh, you know, Ennis Gaines or, or Julius Lewis or Trevin Morig. Uh, it was just a bad matchup. So, Ellinger had to hold the ball for a while and, you know, made some bad decisions. Um, this week, though, their third best receiver is Brennan Eagles, who uh, they benched him against TCU because he missed a practice. And so uh, if he's back in there, that's a, that's a pretty big game changer because he's a huge, fast athlete who can beat people over the top. Um, and then if they have Jordan Whittington in their running back, Jordan Whittington was a star receiver in high school and they converted him into a running back this year, his freshman year, and they had big plans for him, but he got hurt in the first week of the season. So we hadn't really seen him yet, but um, he's a running back that can flex out and run all kinds of nifty routes at about 220 pounds. So uh, he might be a huge star. And uh, if he's ready to go and they're using him, this week that could be a that could be a game changer well and that's a that's a good point by you on uh on brennan eagles because that is a guy who when i've watched texas this year has has flashed a little bit in terms of a guy who when you look at a six four you know 230 receiver who you know when with two guys like eagles and colin johnson out there from a physical standpoint, they, they, uh, they don't make many that look better than those guys uh, in terms of what you want a receiver to look like. So 
Uh, K-State will have their work cut out uh, for sure uh, with those two, um, provided that Eagles is back uh, uh, out of the doghouse and, and, on the, uh, and on the field. Ian, I wanted to get your thoughts real quick, too, uh, kind of getting a little bit off here of the, uh, the K-State-Texas matchup. But looking at the conference here, uh, as we make our way into November, and you know it's getting down to the home stretch here of uh, conference play, you know Baylor's still sitting there at uh, you know undefeated, of course undefeated in conference play, but they still have their toughest games um, still to come with uh, with KU or with OU in, in Texas, and then closing out uh, with KU and uh, this week, of course, a big one against TCU. But uh, just kind of curious on what your overall thoughts here on uh, how the Big 12 race might shape out uh, as we get into the month of November. I think it's pretty open. Um, Whoever wins the uh, Texas and Kansas State game is probably going to have reasonable confidence that they can that they can stick in it. Um, The loser will be, you know, pretty well disqualified. I think Baylor has a ton of upside. They really need to get their left tackle, Connor Galvin, back. Um, West Virginia just ate their other two tackles alive in that Thursday night game. I don't know if you guys yep. saw that one. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but they are uh, they are very good this year, Baylor. They have that guy, James Lynch, who is the best defensive player in the conference, maybe the best player in the conference and they're uh, rushing three, dropping eight, and that guy still has is still like leading the league in sacks as part of what's often a three-man rush. So, um, pretty good, <laughs> Baylor. Uh, I know that they're they're like barely scraping by every week, and they haven't mm-hmm. played yeah, and they, haven't, and they haven't played anybody quite as good as uh, Oklahoma or Texas. But I don't know. They're they can probably afford to lose to lose one of those and still get to the big 12 championship game. So uh, I think that they have a pretty high upside and, uh, and they have a pretty good path. And then obviously Oklahoma is, is the other team that's the easy favorite, but I'm kind of curious to know uh, how they're going to adjust to what Kansas state exposed in them just on the perimeter and, uh, and on defense as well. I thought, Kansas State, I thought Kansas State and Texas both did a pretty good job of just kind of taking away the easy deep throws that Jalen Hurts has feasted on mm-hmm. and then daring Oklahoma to beat them by just running the ball with Hurts all the time. And uh, Kansas State executed that pretty well. Texas did not execute it particularly well, but they did hold Oklahoma to, uh, what was the, I can't, no, I can't remember. Was, I think it was, that game was 34-27. Does that sound right? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. 34 points, you know, good, but not, you know, not like what Kyler Murray or Baker Mayfield were hanging on people in big games. And so uh, I'm curious to see how they handle Iowa State. I think Iowa State is really going to get after uh, some of the things that Kansas State showed to be weaknesses on film in the Oklahoma defense. And then you know that they're going to have a plan to to drop back and, and make Oklahoma work their way down the field and see if Jalen Hurts can uh, can scramble for, you know, 20 times for 100 yards. Um, and then even if he does, you also wonder how, how long Jalen Hurts can keep that up. Like, can he get 20 carries a game down the stretch here in order for them to beat 
Iowa State and, and Baylor and Oklahoma State and TCU. They have, they have kind of a tough final stretch. So Baylor and Oklahoma are definitely the favorites, but they also both have a lot of vulnerabilities. It's funny. I feel like you look around on Twitter right now, and a lot of the conversation from Big 12 teams is what it would take for uh, for one of the Big 12 teams to make the playoffs, you know, obviously Oklahoma or Baylor. And I'm thinking, like, I don't know if these two teams are going to – I don't think either is going to win out. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if either lost – two games apiece mm-hmm. in this final stretch. So uh, it could make things interesting. Well, and Ian, one other uh, offshoot here is, is an av- you brought up Iowa State. And as an avid uh, reader of your content, can you just help me out here? What is the PF Purdy nickname? Pump fake Purdy. Pump fake Purdy. Okay. Well, I guess I should have just asked Chris. <laughs> Yeah, he, he does like to use up that that, uh, that pump fake often when he's when he's uh, approaching that line of scrimmage with the intent to run. Uh, it uh, it often works too for him. I didn't know if it was some kind of a pro football focus reference or something like that, but that makes a lot of sense. Pump fake, Purdy. Yeah, somebody on Twitter came up with that one, and I, I thought it was good. A little shorthand. Um, well, you know, in, in, when you talk about kind of how the Big Twelve race is, I, I think that you you characterize this game between K-State and Texas as uh, as an elimination game. And, you know, we, we, for K-State fans, uh, playing meaningful games in, in November was, uh, you know, I think that was kind of a, a long shot here as, uh, as we looked at the season back in August. But, you know, here we are. Uh, so before we let you go, I, I just want to ask what your prediction is and kind of how you see it uh, playing out Saturday afternoon in Austin. I think that Texas will win. I think that they just have, uh, they'll have too many athletes ready to go for this one. And I think that, uh, I I don't think Texas, I don't know if Texas is going to be able to pull off their goals this year of of winning the big 12 championship or getting back to the big 12 championship game. But uh, the best ways to attack Texas are not the things that Kansas state hangs their hat on, which is, you know, being able to throw it up to a, a fast receiver when you when you smell a blitz coming or um, or uh, hitting guys in space, so it's possible that Kansas State can uh, can pick on Texas's defense in their own style and just kind of you know hold the ball and pick up a lot of first downs, um, shorten the game and all that. But uh, th- that plays to kind of like how Texas likes to play. And uh, it might be hard to pick up the consistent gains when, um, you know, Dalton Schoen is being covered by Caden Stearns or uh, they're having to block Ke'Andre Coburn uh, or uh, uh, Juwan Mitchell, you know, run blitzing a lot. So I think this will play to Texas's advantage in playing at home off a of bye week. But... Um, I, they are definitely they're definitely a team where if Kansas State can land some punches and hang around, I think Texas will be pretty tight, and uh, their defense probably can't be counted on in the fourth quarter. So it could definitely be an interesting game. Well, I think it'll certainly be an interesting game. I I'm going back and forth. I still don't know what I think is exactly going to happen in this one, but I think you've done a pretty good job. Uh, laying it out for us, Ian. So uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, this is, uh, you, of course, you can follow Ian uh, on Twitter at Ian 
underscore a underscore Boyd and uh, follow his work at sportstreatise.com and insidetexas.com. And uh, Ian, I'll let you have the kind of the floor here uh, to uh, to talk about your book, A Flyover Football. I know I mentioned it earlier, but uh, I know you could probably uh, explain it in even better detail than I can, of course. Yeah, thanks. Um, it's a book I wrote over the last year uh, explaining kind of um, how and why the spread offense has uh, dominated the Big 12 and why the Big 12 in particular was the place where the spread offense really took off as opposed to, you know, the SEC or the Big 10 or somewhere else. And uh, it also, it kind of doubles as a, as a sort of history of the Big 12 conference. So I start in the, in the mid-late 90s when the conference is just taking off and Nebraska runs everything, you know, with their uh, I-formation option offense. And then uh, things take a turn when uh, in chapter three, when Bob Stoops comes and he brings Mike Leach. Um, I, I get into a, a chapter detour, just detailing Texas high school football and how the spread offense was taking over there. And then how that later came to influence teams all over the big 12 as they were recruiting uh, Texas high school quarterbacks and wide receivers. Um, and uh just kind of tell the story of the conference and, and the big events from year to year and, and land on the, uh, the, the last chapter just describes where, where the conference got to with uh, Lincoln Riley and Cliff Kingsbury. Um, and then, uh, and then kind of the counter swing that we started to see and are seeing more from, uh, from Iowa state with their defense and, and some of the other similar defensive styles that we're starting to see as a, as an answer. Well, uh, I know with the holiday season coming up, uh, coming up here, I know, uh, of course, if you're listening to the short side option, you're a football fan. So uh, for football fans uh, all around the conference, it's, it's a great way to uh, get learned up on, on kind of how uh, we're where we are today with these spread offenses. Of course, K-State doesn't necessarily uh, subscribe to that uh, with the uh, with the offense that they're running these days, but uh, you know, obviously, Bill Snyder was a was a big part in in bringing the spread attack to the Big Twelve, even from the Big Eight days. But it's a great uh, gift idea for any uh, football fan or any fan of uh, of a team in the Big Twelve for sure. So, well, Ian, uh, thanks again for uh, making some time for us, and uh, it should be a good one down in Austin. And uh, I don't know, I think it's going to be a back and forth game, but uh, like you said, big game for both teams. Um, an elimination game for the for anyone that has any Big 12 title aspirations between uh, between K State and Texas here. So, thanks again for joining us, and uh, we'll be sure to keep in touch. You bet. Looking forward to it. Thanks again. All right. Thanks again to Ian Boyd for joining us here on the Short Side Option. Uh, of course, you can follow Ian's work uh, at SportsTreatise.com, InsideTexas.com, and uh, of course, following him on Twitter at uh, Ian underscore a underscore Boyd. Of course, we talked a little bit with him about his uh, his book, Flyover Football. As I mentioned, great uh, great gift for the, the football fan in your family. That's right. And I can't emphasize enough, if, if you want to know more about uh, the Big 12 Conference and what teams are trying to do and learn about the schemes and just become an overall smarter football fan, head on over to sportstreetist.com because uh, – the weekly or bi-weekly articles that Ian points out are always enlightening and will always give you, uh, it'll help you scratch that itch in terms of uh, what the rest of the conference is doing and uh, what they're trying to do. You know, one of my favorite articles that he's put out 
uh, over over the last couple of years is when he breaks down uh, when he broke down the Friday Night Lights, the Odessa Permian uh, Panthers offense uh, from from of course the the famed movie Friday Night Lights. Uh, I always thought that was a really cool way of looking at it because it's one of my favorite movies, uh, sports movies anyway. And uh, seeing that stuff, I, I think, is a really cool uh, feature on that and, uh, of course, speaks to his, his uh, level of insight on all things football. Yeah, also did that with Remember the Titans, Remember too. the Titans, too. Well, okay. I, could, I could sum up that as that Ryan Gosling can't cover soul. Yeah. He couldn't, he couldn't guard his own shadow. <laughs> yeah, he's a lousy, lousy in coverage. Yeah, so, well, let's, um, let's get into this Texas game. It's a huge game, of course. K-State finds themselves number 16 in the college football, uh, initial college football rankings, uh, college football playoff rankings, excuse me, which, I mean, cr- it's crazy to think that a team, you know, when, when we're sitting here back in August uh, previewing all these teams in the Big 12, that K-State would be in uh, – Right here in the thick of a conference title picture, as of now, of course, some things have to go their way to get there. But sitting at a uh, a chance to win, you know, ten games uh, here as we look down the stretch. Of course, there's still plenty of football to be played, and uh, if K State's going to um, going to flirt with getting to a Big Twelve uh, title game appearance, gotta we gotta beat Texas. And uh, Texas is coming off a bye week where you know, as we mentioned. They're getting some guys back, especially uh, defensively, uh, that should allow them to shore up what's been a leaky defense for them here uh, over the last couple weeks. So, uh, Dilu, I kind of want to ask you, what are your overall thoughts on kind of the matchup with K-State and Texas? And uh, what if you had one key uh, for, for K-State to be able uh, to go down to Austin and come back to Manhattan with a win, uh, what, what might that be? Well, I mean... I think Ian did a good job of uh, pointing out some of the advantages that Texas is going to have in this game. I mean, you look up and down this Texas receiving core and their propensity for explosive plays, and it's uh, it, it's not it's not encouraging if you're a K State fan, especially with the loss of AJ Parker uh, being asked to cover some of those big Texas receivers and. Uh, try to contain a very talented quarterback with Sam Ellinger. Uh, so my my key for the game is going to just be K-State's secondary and being able to contain uh, Texas's passing offense because I think Texas is just built to sling the ball all over the yard, and I don't see them as being a particularly patient enough team to take advantage of some of the perceived K-State's statistically bad rush defense. Now, we can talk about why they're statistically bad and why that might be a little misleading, but I think Texas is going to really try to pick on K-State's secondary, which is a little depleted now after the Parker injury. And um, I think Texas should have success there. Um, But if K-State's secondary can uh, do a good job of containing Texas's passing offense and uh, containing the big plays, or at least limiting the big plays, uh, then I think that's about all you can ask this K-State defense to do. And I have a, if there's one guy on our coaching staff that I have a lot of, that I've had just confidence in throughout the entire season, it's been uh, Scotty Hazelton because there hasn't been a game yet this year where I've said, 
man, K-State's defense just did not play well enough to win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, even when the game that I think that sticks out most is probably that Oklahoma State game where Hubbard runs and, gosh, he's good, isn't he? He's good, yeah. I mean, we were talking, there's, it's not out of the realm of possibility that he sets uh, some records when Oklahoma State faces off against KU. Because oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a situation where if there's one guy built for... Well, it was Samaj P. Ryan a few years ago, and then he got his record broken, I believe. I could be... I, could, I think I'm wrong on years here, maybe, potentially. Because it happened within a year or two where um, Melvin Gordon uh, did it against Nebraska uh, as a Badger. But, uh, yeah, I mean... Samaj so P. Ryan ran for over 300 yards against uh, against the KU defense. Now, granted, uh, different different KU defense here in uh, in Lawrence now, but, but a depleted front seven. Sure, sure. Um, so uh, I, I kind of lost my train of thought there, but I, I'm oh, getting oh, off track. Scott I'm Hazleton off track. against Oklahoma State. Yeah. yeah, I mean that that's a game where where Hubbard just. Had a ton of success, but overall, you look at the final score and where that game kind of ended, and you think, man, if K-State could have just had some success on offense, then it would have been a, it really should have been a tight game. But I think Hazleton's going to have his work cut out for him this week against a Texas offense that, with the exception of uh, the game against TCU, has been pretty darn good. Um you know, they struggled a little bit against that Oklahoma defense, but otherwise they've... Uh, Oklahoma got a lot of that, if I remember correctly from that game, they got a lot of that, um, a lot of those big plays. I mean, I remember Hurts had some bad turnovers and that, that kind of took some points off the off the board, but Texas kind of locked in there in the second half, if, I, if memory serves me correct anyway. Right, that's true. But uh, they've had two games this year where they've scored fewer than 30 points. And so, one of the better offenses in the Big 12, certainly. And so, um, and with A.J. Parker's injury coming at really a time... An inopportune time, for sure. Yeah, this is not the week where you want to have your best corner out of the game. But K-State's secondary is going to have its work cut out for them. How do you see this game uh, shaking out, and what's your key icon? Well, first I'll give you a key. Um, I think where I come... Where I come down on this game is I want to see K-State make Texas beat them by probably employing a little bit more of that bend but don't break type stuff where I don't want to see, you know, guys like um, Ellinger beat you with your beat – beat them with your feet. Uh, I think that if K-State is making him throw the ball 40, 45 times a game and being patient – with those reads, you'll see he's prone to turning the ball over. Last time out against TCU, four interceptions. Uh, granted, that's uncharacteristic uh, on him. I mean, he's been pretty pretty consistent this year uh, throughout. But limiting those big plays, not having those you know eighty yard runs by you know running back or anything like that. Texas has some playmakers, of course. There's no question about it. Uh, they're they're two wide receivers. Um, that are just the most physically imposing are Colin Johnson and, and Brendan Eagles, but uh, Devin Duvernay's he he's explosive as they get too. 
Um, so K-State's going to have their work cut out for them. However, offense, I'm going to switch now to offensive uh, for what K-State needs to do. I think K-State needs just to remember their identity and sticking to that. Of course, against, um, against Oklahoma State is the game that kind of I, I go back to here. K-State kind of got away from running the ball the way that they had been doing it the first couple of games that season. And as they've had success, you know, these last three or so weeks where they've been more, I guess, multidimensional in the run game, exploiting the edges on whether if it's on sweeps or with the quarterback run game, which we didn't see as much early on in the season. Also employing more misdirection. But misdirection, yeah, absolutely. And getting guys like Youngblood, Phillip Brooks in on some jet sweeps uh, here and there, and just making that run game multidimensional. And it's been an explosive run game. I mean, you're, whether, you know, I don't necessarily define an explosive play having to be, you know, 30, 40 yards, uh, you know, for a touchdown or anything like that, but just you know, 10, 15 yards of pop every now and then, uh, you know, keeping you ahead of the chain, staying on schedule. I think those are the things K-State needs to do. If K-State's going to win this game, I like it. I don't want them to get into a shootout. Uh, I think that definitely favors Texas. But when it comes down to it, I think this is a game that K-State needs to stay true to what they've done offensively. And uh, I think they will do that. I think they'll have uh, every opportunity uh, late in the game to, uh, to, come back, to come out with a win. Yeah, well, what do you think? Should we get into uh, our predictions here? Yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'll, I'll set you up here. So K-State uh, goes to Austin, a seven-point dog um, over under at 57 and a half uh, for those uh, keeping track of such things at home. I think this is a game that if I was to kind of handicap it, like I said, I think K-State's going to be really um, focused on staying true to themselves, Playing this clock possession game, which they've done so well uh, against KU, um, you know, dominated the time of possession, 38 minutes to 21 minutes, 38 to 22 in terms of uh, time of possession. I don't know if we'll see quite that because I think Texas can can run the ball effectively as well. But at the end of the day, gun to my head, I have to make a prediction. I'm taking Texas 31 to 27. All right. Well, and. Uh... I'm disappointed to hear that, but I understand where you're coming from. I think you're. I think the biggest thing now. I will say this with a caveat. I don't like the fact that if Texas wasn't coming off a bye, I'd be picking K State. But I think Texas gets a little bit healthier, and it's a big game at home for them. Uh, if they have any chance of getting back to the Big Twelve title game, uh, they got to win out, and this is the first step in that. I think that uh, being at home. Coming off a of bye week to get rested up gives them a little bit of an edge, and that's why I have them winning by four. Yeah, and, you know, it, on paper, this is a bad matchup for K-State. K-State's offense likes to run the ball. Texas' defensive secondary is really their weak spot. Um, and I think K-State's run defense is probably the unit I feel a little bit better about, but uh, Texas's offense is... Uh, mostly built on utilizing its wide receivers. And with A.J. Parker out, that's uh, that's not great news for this K-State defense. But, man, it's hard for me to bet against K-State right now just because, really, I think K-State's just about 
one of the hottest teams in the country right now. Um, yeah. These last no three question. games, and especially in the last two games. No question. Um, it's just been better performance after better performance after better performance in the last uh, three three games. So um, I'm not going to go with my head. I'm going to go with my heart on this one, and I'm going to bet on uh, Scotty Hazelton and the mess to be able to uh, break down the, the Texas team. And I'm going to pick K-State in a close one, 35-31 to 31. Wildcats. 35 to 31. I like it. I like it a lot. Well, this is a big game, of course, for a lot of K State players uh, on the roster uh, from the state of Texas. Uh, by my quick uh, math, 20 of them. And, um, you know, with those Texas guys playing a big role in K State, um, getting an in state win against KU last week, uh, the Kansas kids get to, uh, get to help them out as they go on the road. Uh, here back to their home state. So a big game, of course. K-State has, uh, like you said, playing as well as anyone in the country right now uh, in terms of offense and defense. You know, we talked about uh, Courtney Messingham, I think, last week being, or when I say last week, I I guess I mean against Oklahoma, so two weeks ago, uh, being named the the Athlon uh, Offensive Coordinator, or Coordinator of the Week. And people were being very unfair to Courtney Messingham towards the start of conference play. One of whom's on this podcast right now. I'm yeah, sitting next to him. That's right. I was. And uh, this last week, uh, Scotty Hazleton uh, achieved such honors uh, by Afon. So K-State back-to-back uh, coordinator of the week by the uh, prestigious publication, Athlon. <laughs> sniff, sniff. I smell uh, <laughs> Royals Award. Could be. Could be. I mean... You know, and also, too, many people have been very unfair to me over the last two years since we've been doing this podcast. After last year's disappointing 5-7 and seven season for the Cats, which I picked him to go 10-2, and two, uh, many people said, man, this guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I might have just been a year early, a year late, however you want to you know, define that. But this K-State team, whether they finish 10-2 and two or not, I think has surpassed expectations uh, of all K-State fans and certainly have... Uh, past my expectations, but still a lot to play for here for K-State. That's right. So a lot in front of K-State. We fall on different sides of it this week, but I don't think either of us believe that K-State's done winning yet this year. No, and what? And just so I have for record-keeping purposes, what do you have uh, the uh, the score as? I think I had 35-31 to 31 K-State. Okay. So uh, we both see it as a four-point uh, discrepancy. Um, I'm on the Texas side, and Drew... Picking with the heart? Is, is that what Picking I Picking with the heart. Okay. Yeah. Well, hey, sometimes the heart wins. That's right. So, uh, well, that'll do it here for the Texas uh, preview and prediction. Thanks again to Ian Boyd uh, for coming on with us. Uh, of course, uh, you know where to follow his work at. So, uh, that will do it here for the Texas preview. After a short break, we'll be back uh, to kind of give an update on where our preseason predictions are, are finding themselves and uh, also take a look at kind of what uh, the rest of the Big 12 schedule, uh, how we see it playing out, who we might see going to Arlington uh, here as we uh, turn the calendar to November. Uh, still a lot of football to be played, and uh, we'll, we'll take a look at that and answer your questions in Ask the Icon. Join us after the break. All right, welcome back to this week's edition of the Short Side Option Podcast. We're now we're going to do a little segment where we look back 
on our preseason predictions and uh, kind of figure out whether uh, whether or not the icon or myself had a nice uh, had their finger on the pulse of what these Big 12 teams were going to do this year. All right, icon. Let's do it. All right, we both had Oklahoma going over ten and a half wins this season. I think that's still within the realm of possibility here. Oh yeah, for sure. I I expect that to to go that way. Um, however, there's still plenty of football left to be played for Oklahoma. Uh, Bedlam, of course, at the at the end of the season, and a uh, big game this week against Iowa State. That uh, Iowa State has given them some trouble. Of course, uh, beat them the last time they were in Norman. So uh, definitely not out of the woods yet for Oklahoma, but uh, on schedule, I think they're yeah in, probably. I think they're in okay shape if you're holding a over ten and a half ticket for Oklahoma. Uh, next up, we had Texas. You had Texas going over nine and a half wins. I had Texas going under nine and a half wins, and I think that under tickets. Probably the play here. Yeah, you definitely feel better if you had the under uh, there. But, of course, still uh, still plenty of football to be played. Now, Texas ends up with, I mean, obviously K-State this week, um, but also Baylor um, coming up down the chute, I, uh, a road test at Iowa State, and then uh, I believe they close out um, with, uh, with Texas Tech. Is that correct? Baylor? Yeah, I, I mentioned Baylor. I think they finish out with uh, with Texas Tech um, here as I'm double-checking to make sure that I am not leading our fine listeners astray. But, yes, uh, K-State uh, on the road in Ames, uh, on the road in Waco, and then uh, home against Te- Texas Tech uh, to close out. Right. Okay. Uh, now, Baylor, you had Baylor yeah, going you, over. Uh, you want to just go ahead and pat me on that back? Thank you. Yeah, you were very high on the Bears coming into the season. You had them going over six and a half wins. That ticket has cashed. With plenty to go. Yeah. So I had them going under. Bad job by me. That is a bad job. That's a really bad job by you, actually. Now, I was saying... But that's not the last time we're going to say a bad job by uh, D. Lou here, is it? Uh, No, but just, just you wait, sir. Okay. Uh, Iowa State's season win total prediction, eight games by our friends in the desert. And uh, you had Iowa State pushing. I had Iowa State going over. And that's still, I think, uh, push is probably the best scenario for Iowa State here. That's the best case scenario, I think. Because I think it's likely that they're going to drop at least one more. They still have Oklahoma. Oklahoma, Texas, KU, and, and K-State. So three uh, three of the tougher teams in the Big 12 to face. Um, you, Two of which on the road. Yeah, I, I think the under is far more likely than the over there. And if you're an under, or if you're an over better, you're probably praying for a push here. Now moving on to Oklahoma State. Their season win total was six and a half, and that's cash pretty much. Icon, you are under. Yep. For Oklahoma State, I'm over, and I think, uh, well, yeah. If you're an Oklahoma State fan, you're feeling uh, you're feeling all right about uh, that prediction because Oklahoma State needs to win 
only one more game, and they play KU next, so you're feeling yep. KU, good. KU and West Virginia, uh, two of the worst teams in the Big 12, uh, get them back-to-back weeks, and then Bedlam at the end. So, you know, shoot, right now, Oklahoma State's at 6-3. and three. You feel like 8-4 and four is, is probably where they land, but that's uh, enough to cash. Moving on now to Kansas State. We both had them going over. You can cash that ticket. Yep, sure can. Um, very wise move by us. Good job TCU, by us. TCU, we both had going under. Their win total was 7.5. Feel pretty good about that. You feel okay about that if you're holding a TCU I don't know who's going to play quarterback for te- uh, Texas Christian from here on out. Yeah, Texas Christian... Um, is without a quarterback, and they need to win three more games to cash that. Games against uh, Baylor at home, at Tech, at Oklahoma, and then West Virginia at home. Boy, so to, to hit that over, they're going to have to beat uh, Baylor uh, or, and, or I'm sorry, Baylor or Oklahoma, and then take care of business against Texas Tech and West Virginia. Um, tough road not, to... Not, not impossible, but... It's going to take... Uh, at least one significant upset. Well, significant to who? Yeah, true. The oddsmakers have TCU as a two-point dog to Baylor, and I know. Well, maybe they have an idea of who's going to play quarterback for Baylor. I think they have a pretty good idea of who's going to play quarterback. Or I'm sorry for Texas Christian, but yeah. I sure don't. Uh, moving on now to West Virginia, three and five currently. Their number is five. And we both had them going under that mark. And uh, it's going to be hard for them to get to six, I think. It's possible. It's possible, but uh, they're going to... It's tough, but it's possible. Yeah. I think they'll win this week against Tech. Um, They go on the road, of course, next week to K-State. I I, I think K-State will win that one. Um, And then... On the road at TCU and, and get Oklahoma State at home. I mean, those are winnable games. Um, not going to be easy uh, for w- West Virginia. Probably feel like that's probably going to come out on the uh, on the under. <clears throat> now to Texas Tech. We don't have to talk about Texas Tech, do we? Yeah, I think I'd like to. I'd like to actually, if I could. Uh, the icon had Texas Tech going under their number, which was six and a half. Uh, the Red Raiders are sitting at uh, three, three and five. five. Yeah. What, now, now you had them going under too, didn't you? Uh, yeah. I, I no, no, no. I, I, I had them going. Oh. I had them going over the six and a half number. Uh, I did not anticipate uh, star quarterback Alan Bowman getting hurt. Uh, he was just poetry in motion while he was in the game uh, this season. But uh, he was poetry in motion against Arizona. Yeah. They, yeah. they lost that one 28-14. Yeah, but it's quite a performance from uh, Alan Bowman in that game where he put up uh, 307 yards of passing. So, hmm. good yeah. job by him. And unlucky for me. Yeah, unlucky for, uh, you know, I'll tell you what, though. You might have money to make it back on uh, that TCU, or on not the TCU, on uh, Texas Tech, maybe bet on him in basketball. Chris Beer looks like he's got another good team uh, down there in, uh, in the Plains of Lubbock. That's right. Well, we'll round this out with the Jayhawks. Uh, the Icon, uh, really bad job here. Had KU going under their three-win total mark. Um, 
course, KU has already uh, hit that mark, and so Icon's a loser on this one. Um, but me, Dilu, I had KU pushing the three-win total, and I think that is, uh, that's exactly what's going to happen here because I don't see any more wins for our friends. You should almost get more money, or if, if you bet, you should have the option to bet a push. You really should. Um, that, it get like plus maybe 175 to 25 juice on that. Yeah, you're you're you well, only you have, have you only have one scenario where you win. And now how about that? Now how about this for an idea? I bet the folks in Vegas, I bet their ears are perking up here. No, the icon talks sports betting. Let's think about this. Like so in soccer, there there's such thing called three-way money lines. You bet on you know, either of the teams to win outright, or you bet on a on a draw. Could you imagine that for a uh, for a for a um, for a season win total thing, where you have a three way of push pushes a loss if you have the over or the under, um, but a uh, a a dead on push where you have it um, at you know four wins, five wins, six wins, whatever the case is. Probably take home some nice bacon there. Yeah, I think uh, I'd be onto something there. I, I kind of like that. You know, if, if you ever open up a book, I think you should uh, should offer that. But uh, we just wanted to take our friends, our listeners, uh, a walk down memory lane there and kind of hold ourselves accountable, do a little self-scout this week to see where we can improve and how we've done uh, so far on the year. And with that, we'll move into our final segment on the show, a segment that we call Ask the Icon where listeners can submit their questions to the short side options. Very young Chris the Icon Sork. And he'll sit right down, he'll sit on his big fat fanny here and That's he'll right. answer him. That's right, I'll do that. And he'll answer him right here on the air. Uh, listeners can submit their questions by tweeting them at us at TSSO underscore podcast or by using the hashtag Ask the Icon or by um, using sidewalk chalk and coming up to our apartment and just chalking uh, the sidewalk right outside our door. And we'll make note of it, and we'll read them right on the air. But this week, most of the questions were submitted via Twitter. And without further ado, we'll get right into it. Uh, our first question this week comes from listener Ryan Moss at Powercat Ryan. Um, Ryan's, uh, Ryan's first question this week is, can you rank the Big 12 hires after two-thirds of the season? Yeah, I'll go ahead and, uh, and, and kind of get my thoughts on that here. C- Chris Kleiman, a cut above everyone else. No question, uh, the best hire of this um, of this uh, class of new coaches here in the Big Twelve. I've got him rated as as the as the best of the four hires, and then I've got Les Miles at number two. Uh, I think what he's been able to do breathe some life back in that program, and they've been competitive uh, as they you know as they were uh, last year in some games. But uh, you know, getting that offense figured out, they've they've made a couple of nice steps there. Uh, still, miles to go. <laughs> Very funny. Ching uh, on that one, but yeah, you know you have to look at KU. Uh, having seen what they've done here, it's a step in the right direction for for that program, um, and they've got some positive momentum building uh, via via the recruiting trail. But still, plenty of work to be done. And then I'm going to go um, three and four. I think you can really these are it. a wash. Yeah, these are a wash. Uh, I've got Brown at three, and I've got. Wells at four, but if you want to put Wells at three and Brown at four, or just call him a tie for third, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue. But uh, yeah, I think, I think that uh, Kleiman's head and shoulders 
above uh, the rest, and um, I think Les Miles has, has uh, solidified himself as probably the second one. Uh, Ryan has another question. He asks, what are the chances that we see a regression in 2020? Well, it, it'd be tough because it, it, it's tough to say just because you don't know exactly how the rest of the season is going to go. But if you're looking into the you know the crystal ball here, so to speak, it doesn't take a whole lot to see K-State going 8-4. and four. Uh, Will they be able to go 8-4 and four next year? I mean, they do return quite a bit. They have to replace uh, you know some guys on the offensive line. I mean, everybody on the offensive uh, everyone line. Everyone on the offensive line. But, I mean, also Josh Rivas is, has gotten into the action there. But... You know, it, the offensive line is going to be a big question mark uh, going into next season, but there's a lot to like. I mean, skill position, we're returning most. Uh, I think we lose Schoen, uh, I believe, and but Knowles will be back um, along with most of the wide receivers. Running backs, we do lose uh, James Gilbert, Jordan Brown, but you feel comfortable with what uh, they've been able to do in terms of bringing you know, a, a running back room that was empty uh, this time pretty much last year, or well, in the offseason, I should say, bringing them up to speed. So you have to feel pretty good about that position in terms of how they handled it last or this offseason. Um, defensively, yeah, you lose Reggie Walker, but you do return a lot of other guys in that defensive line. Reggie Walker and, and Trey Deshaun, of course, will, will leave due to graduation. But uh, defensively, should be pretty good next year. So uh, I don't necessarily – I'm not going to go ahead and predict a regression as of yet. It, it sure wouldn't surprise me if they if they maybe take a step back just due to the the uh, lack of experience and, and the new faces upon the offensive line. But at the same time, uh, the way that unit's come together this year gives you a lot of confidence in, in what Connor Riley's doing along that offensive line. And I think that uh, you know they'll have to find some new replacements, but I have confidence there. All right, next question comes from listener Russ at R. Buke Avist. I don't know how to pronounce his Twitter name. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what he's going for there, but it's uh, R. Buke, A-V-I-S-T. Our friend Russ asks, First, who do you most want to see in a bowl? Is it more important to have an easily winnable matchup or a prestigious opponent? You know, I, I don't really care um, too much about that. I... I would like to have it be a game that you think that you can win. I mean, a lot of these games that K-State has found themselves in in the past. Like, I remember when we played Arkansas uh, in that Liberty Bowl. They were, like, I think they were the biggest favorite throughout the bowl season almost. They were, like, a 15-point favorite in that one. That was going to be a tough game for, for K-State, as, as that was not a very good K-State team back in 2015. But, uh, yeah, I would look for more of a winnable game. But, really, with the way K-State's played this year, I mean, shoot. You go out and you upset number five Oklahoma, and you've started playing really well offensively uh, here throughout the last uh, couple weeks. Sure, I mean bring bring on the name, I suppose. I know one name that is found there, found you know being matched with K State in some of these bowl projections is Notre Dame, and it doesn't get any bigger names really in college football than Notre Dame. So that'd that would be, be fun. That's I would really like to play Notre Dame out in that. What do they have us in a Camping World Bowl? Yeah, now Notre Dame if they win out. They're probably going New Year's six with two losses. That that they'll be in the New Year's six if they went out. But of course they've got a a game this week with Duke. I know that they're uh, a seven point favorite in or so, give or take. So uh, they should win that one. But at the same time, uh, they do close out. I think with USC uh, in uh, in the Coliseum. Or actually, no, they already played USC this year. Excuse me. But uh, ten and two is probably looking most likely. Uh, for Notre Dame, 
as, as we move on here. But uh, at the end of the day, I, I don't really care necessarily too much on who the on who the name is that uh, that K State finds themselves in the bowl game, uh, because I think it'll be it'll be a really nice uh, really nice prize for K State because they they have got themselves in in pretty good shape uh, here as we enter the month of November to be playing in a nice bowl game. Yeah, they play uh, Notre Dame finishes the season at Stanford, so okay. pretty close. But uh, don't forget about that November sixteenth matchup against a pretty good Navy team. So uh, keep your eye on the uh, yeah that'll be the Irish. That's a that's a ranked Navy team, and of course Notre Dame has really dominated that rivalry. But uh, Navy always plays them tight, no question. Um, I saw one projection this week that had us playing uh, Mississippi State in the Liberty Bowl. Yeah, I saw that too. <laughs> that would just I don't think either fan base has any interest in that game. No, it wouldn't. And I, I we're and that was in the Liberty Bowl. I believe that's right. So it's a place that K State's been in the last five years. It that would be a, a disappointing matchup. So more than anything, I guess to answer uh, Russ's question, I'd like to go to a place that we haven't been in in a while. Whether if it's you know maybe I know the Alamo Bowl is an option, uh, which we've you know had some history there as well. Most recently in twenty fourteen. Yeah, against UCLA. I know I saw a Utah matchup there. That would be a that'd be a fun matchup. Uh, just a new team, but uh, yeah, you know it, there's still lots of football to be played. And then uh, another question from Russ. He asks, as a fellow alum of a Big Ten West institution, I assume he's talking about me. Uh, is Minnesota a real contender for the Big Ten? Icon? No. I mean, to win the Big Ten title? Uh, I, yeah. No, they're, uh, they're not beating, they're not beating Ohio State. Yeah, they're not, I don't think they're going to beat Penn State. Yeah, they could beat Penn State. I wouldn't be shocked if they beat Penn State this week. I but. would. I, I, I think that P.J. Flex running on smoke and mirrors up there so far this season, but. Could be. They've been, they've blown the doors off uh, some of their Big Ten opponents this year, so. Well, that's quite the accomplishment. Yeah. Been up on Purdue and. Nebraska and Illinois and. Those, I mean, when you got when, when you, you got go that gauntlet, when I mean, you when you got a they have a played schedule out. like that features Illinois, their Nebraska, best, and Purdue. It's you just their best win to date has to probably be over Nebraska. That or South Dakota State. <laughs> yeah, it's it it's you really have to try to figure out. I mean, Illinois on paper is their best win. Yeah, could, Illinois yeah. is a five win team yeah. right now. Um, and you have a lot of pride in that program. Yeah, I'll ski wow wow, man. <clears throat> Our next question comes from listener Ep at Johnny underscore Epley Seed. He asks, how much popcorn will you be popping for this week's can't-miss episode of Miles to Go? So I've been in and out of Miles to Go. I, I remember I watched about the first four or five episodes, and they're easy to watch because they're only like 15, 25 minutes long. Um, but yeah, I'll be sure to be, uh, be tuned in this week. Of course. Oh, I can't wait. Uh, it will drop uh, today when this episode comes out, Thursday, uh, right around noon. So maybe on your lunch break or something, flip over to ESPN Plus and check out Miles to Go. Uh, next question comes from listener Mahomes Season at KSU underscore funny 33. Mahomes Season asks, what are your thoughts on Joe Hall's incredible MS Paint creations that he posts on Twitter and Instagram? Huge fan. Huge fan. And I see... And there's been some talk that they don't people don't like them, but I can't get enough. I think they're fantastic. I in fact I made one of them uh, my Twitter avatar, the one where Dalton Schoen has laser focus, and he's he actually deleted this this uh, tweet that had this masterpiece on there. But if I can describe it for just a moment, if you don't mind, please. Um, 
<laughs> it's a picture of Dalton Schoen just kind of walking. And he's got lightning bolts shooting out of his eyes. And it's just wonderful. It's He's got a real artistic vision, Joe Hall does. And we can't thank him enough for him. Credit to him and, uh, and all the great work he does uh, creatively. Our next question comes from listener Email Boys at email bo- underscore boys. Uh, and Email Boys asks... Icon, could you beat Ron Baker in a free throw contest? Absolutely not. Now that's a. As for our listeners, Ron Baker and the Icon both hail from Scott City, Kansas. Yeah, Ron's a Ron's a good buddy of mine. Uh, you know, grew up together. Uh, consider him one of my best friends. And uh, no, I would not be able to beat him in a free throw shooting contest. The Wichita State and New York Nick. Uh, now a uh, proud member of CSKA uh, Moscow. Oh, that's a heck of a franchise over there. Uh, Reigning uh, EuroLeague champions. Yeah, that's uh, that's no joke, and we're all proud of uh, a Kansas Sun going over and whipping up on uh, some. Of I'm trying. I'm I'm trying to figure out, and and I've been needing to get in contact with Ron again uh, about visiting him over there in, in Moscow. Actually, so uh, I'm I'm hopeful to uh, to go get a chance to visit him sometime this year. All right, our next question comes from a listener, Easy Stevesy at SL Keck. Stevesy asks, Ola Icon, which freshman b-ball player will have the most minutes this year? Whew, that's a really good question. And last night uh, in the uh, – or two nights ago, on, on opening night in, on, uh, on Tuesday night, uh, Montavious Murphy – was uh, the freshman that got the most minutes. And he was not only the freshman that got the most minutes, but the player that got the most minutes uh, in that game against North Dakota State. So um, I'm going to go with him because he brings a level of energy and uh, as, a, as a post player, uh, does a good job running the floor, uh, guarding his position, uh, fighting for rebounds, does a really nice job there. And I know we're going to get we'll, – we'll, we'll talk more about basketball – you know, a little bit later on, kind of once we get going here, but big game uh, on Saturday as, as K-State goes to Vegas to take on UNLV. Uh, that will be a 3 o'clock game. So uh, if you have two TVs, uh, get those queued up because uh, you'll have a lot of uh, afternoon action there on, on Saturday. A lot of sports to grind on for Wildcats fans. Steve C. asks another question. Uh, which Big 12 coach would win a chili cookoff? Oh, uh, Big 12, I assume he's limiting that only to football or well, well, let's. I'll open up the floor. You didn't specify. Okay, so basketball, I'm going to go Scott Drew. I think he could whip up a mean uh, pot of chili. Yeah. You see that kind of? I can see that. And then uh, on the football side of things. Man, it's a shame Dana Holderson's not in the conference anymore because that guy has chili cook written all over him. <laughs> oh, yeah, he does. He does for sure, no question. Oh, I know my answer, though. You know your question. I know my answer. Oh, you know your answer. Yeah, um, I'm. I'm not going to go Lincoln Riley. I think he's too. He's got too much going on to really be a. Yeah, I agree. Um, gosh, this is tough. Who do you have? Well, there's two that stick out for me. I think Les Miles could probably whip up a mean batch of chili. Some of those Cajun flavors. Yeah, yeah. uh, That that probably influenced him down in Baton Rouge, but. I think Gary Patterson. At a <laughs> yeah, Earth. that's a good other good bit. Yeah, I think he'd be able to to put a little Texas flavor. Uh, what is it? Texans don't put beans in chili. I, don't I think know. that's I think that's uh, a sticking point for there. Yeah, but I, bet, I think I'm gonna go. I think I'm gonna go G Pat there. 
So uh, that's what that's we have. Yeah, good. What helped me out there, Dilo? And then CZ asks, did either TSSO host have any life-changing non-sports related events uh, happen recently? And, I, I, and I'll handle this one. Yeah. I think there's no better platform for me to announce that uh, on Monday night, I bowled a 660 in my, uh, in my bowling <laughs> Holy league. Holy cow! It's a new high for the season. That's uh, about oh, 10 weeks, eight, or, eight, 8 to 10 weeks old at this point. So a great day for me on the lanes on Monday. Thanks for uh, bringing that up, Stevesy. And you do a good job uh, this week, just like you did every week. Uh, our next question comes from listener Stefan Novotny. Oh, this is a new one. It's yeah. A new name. Welcome, Stefan, to the show. At Novotny underscore Stefan asks, will K-State make the Big 12 championship? Um, I will say no. All right. I think, uh, gosh, you know, the one thing, too, about it is I if we could just get those, I mean, you can't have do-overs. But, gosh, I, I'd really like to get another shot at Baylor and Oklahoma State. I think those are two games that, with the way K-State's playing right now, uh, they would be uh, they'd be very well equipped to handle. I think Baylor is um, – I think they're struggling a little bit. I think uh, that's why that TCU game this week, even though there's so much uncertainty at the quarterback position for TCU going in this week, it's a game that I, I could definitely see being a wild one. So um, – I'd like to have those two games back. If we could just have one of those games back, it'd be great. But uh, I think K-State's dug themselves a little bit too deep of a hole. I think OU's probably going to win out. Uh, not a guarantee. But I think OU and uh, Baylor are going to be uh, are going to ha- have a rematch, which I see um, which I see Baylor and Oklahoma you know, making it to the Big 12 Championship game in that rematch, and I see Oklahoma probably winning that one. All right. Well, like Ian said, the Big 12 race is wide open, so it's really anybody's guess, but the icon says probabilities do not favor the Wildcats here. And finally, our last question this week comes from listener Tyler H. at TH8 underscore. Tyler asks, how will you handle the scheduling conflict on Saturday? And who in the athletic department should be fired over this? Wow. We're, we're, he's asking for heads to roll. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't have anyone in mind that needs to be canned. Do you? Yeah, Ben Boyle. Ben Boyle, you want to foil the boil? Foil Boyle. Well, Ben Boyle, he he has drawn your ire in Bass, and I, I think he might be the guy that I might peg here too. Yeah. So, um, you know, the other thing too about it is a it is a jam packed uh, uh, Saturday for K State fans here as we look at um, at that schedule. K State tipping off. Uh, 3 o'clock against UNLV, and of course 2.30 against uh, Texas. I think K-State is going to get a dub on the basketball court, but football, we've made our predictions where where I think it's definitely a possibility, but I'm I'm riding with Texas. What say you about basketball here, real quick? What what, what say I, what do you mean? Well, do you think K-State's going to be able to beat UNLV on Saturday? Uh, yeah, I okay. think so. I think, trust in the Scorpion. Trust have, in the bell cow. We have, we have so much trust in the Scorpion. We also have so much trust in the bell cow, as you mentioned, a double-double in his, his first game of the season. Well, excuse me. If there's one place you trust the Scorpion to be comfortable in. It's in the desert. It's in the desert, baby. <laughs> oh, yeah, baby. I like that a lot. Yeah. I like that a lot. Well, uh, D'Lo, as we put a bow here on this episode of the Short Side Options, is there anything else you'd like to, uh, like to add? No, I guess that... 
K-State's playing meaningful games in November, and it's uh, far exceeding our expectations, and credit to Chris Kleiman and the staff and, and the entire roster for really putting together a uh, nice surprise so far this season. And if they, you know, at this point it would be, I, th- I think it's fair to say that expectations have been raised this season uh, moving forward. I don't think coming into the season, any if you said K-State's going to win six games, Anybody would have been too disappointed with that, but I think uh, I'm hopeful that K-State wins at least one or two more um, and really takes advantage of this uh, great stretch of games that they've they've had the last few. Yeah, the great inaugural season for Chris Kleiman. Uh, I think that's really well said, and uh, I couldn't agree more. So I think that'll put a bow on uh, this edition of the short side option uh, it's been a long one, so uh, thank you guys for sticking with us here. A lot of great stuff in this one. Uh, thanks again to Ian Boyd for coming on with us and uh, previewing Texas. A big game for K-State, a big game for Texas. And as as, uh, as you say, D-Lou, um, it's November. K-State's playing meaningful games. And, uh, you know, if things break right, uh, a New Year's Day Bowl uh, is right in uh, in line for K-State as as we, uh, we close this sucker out. So that'll do it here. Uh, for us on the Short Side Option Podcast. Uh, be f- sure to uh, to let us know what you think. Uh, kind of hear about uh, whether you want to talk football or basketball. You can follow us on Twitter at TSSO underscore podcast. Uh, let us know what you think. And uh, until then, uh, signing off uh, for the Icon and d uh, Thank you for listening to this episode of the Short Side Option. And go Cats!